Looking for a job isn't easy. It used to be that you could apply at a big name tech company and build a great career for yourself. But times have changed. Many of these companies have gone full woke. And if you aren't the right gender, ethnicity, you don't use pronouns, or if you're not an activist for the preferred cause, then good luck. Why would you risk your career on that? At Red Balloon, we're connecting good employees with top quality companies that value you for your skills and your work ethic, not your social activism score. Employers who post jobs on Red Balloon are focused on creating an enjoyable and productive work culture, free from divisive woke mandates. So if you want to find a serious career path without the nonsense, come to Red Balloon and post your resume today. Because you shouldn't have to choose between your job and your values. That's redballoon.work, where you can find your future. I have nothing to offer but blood, toil, tears, and sweat. They have before us an ordeal of the most grievous kind. You ask, what is our aim? I can answer in one word, victory. Victory in spite of all terror. Christianity Today calls for COVID amnesty. So the other club has settled on our terms of reconciliation, chosen carefully from the Sloan classic, if you admit that you were wrong, then we'll admit that we're right. Welcome to the other club with the king of nuance and Mr. Thick, Dr. Michael Thiessen, and your own Tim Tyso. <laughs> I don't know what happened to Tim. Apparently, Tom Selleck showed up today. I am offended. I, I, I can't even do the show with my co-host wearing a Hawaiian shirt and a mustache to boot. Movember is bad enough. For you to look like this in the middle of summer, I'm directly calling your wife and lodging an official complaint. It's, the complaint the complaint lines are wide open, Mike. And you know what? It is the start of the summer. This is our first show of the summer season. And so I thought I'd bring it in with a bang. Uh, we are a political dining club, and I think I'm dressed you've, for the occasion. So I appreciate the compliment. You've, uh, you've dressed for another kind of party. The type of one that I don't get invited to. <laughs> this show is produced by Liberty Coalition Canada in partnership with ChristianWeek.org. Liberty Coalition Canada exists to establish Christ's justice and righteousness. We try hard to help people understand the calling that Christ has put on um, his people and to defend those who stand. So we want to help legal situations where uh, individuals are taking a stand for their constitutional rights. Christian Week exists to provide a practical, balanced, hope-filled perspective on national and global issues, so we're happy to partner with them. If you want to help support our podcasting work, head over to libertycoalitioncanada.com backslash donate and click the analysis box. Donations submitted there go directly to christianweek.org. You will receive a receipt from them. And if you want to help support our legal and advocacy work, head over to libertycoalitioncanada.com backslash donate and click other designations. Liberty Coalition Canada is not yet a charity, um, but your donations go to a worthy cause. So donate, even though you won't get a receipt for those donations to Liberty Coalition Canada. Uh, you can find our shows on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network by 
uh, downloading the FLF app, please go and find us there. So the most reasonable metrics people everywhere are admitting that COVID is no longer an emergency. And as the dust is settling and as the eyes are clearing, a lot of people are asking, where do we go from here? Many of us don't like what we see. There's a new cultural landscape and social lines have been merged and, and blurred. And other people are now just still maybe not so concerned, but they're asking for a truce. And so you will have felt this in your families. You will have felt this in your friendships where some people just want to move on. And I would say a hearty, here, here, let's move on. But the question is, how do we move on? Which brings us to Christianity Today and the article that they've just written, asking for COVID amnesty. Over to you, Tim. Yeah, so this is a little bit of a different show for the other club. We're kind of diving right into some some news release here and, and kind of covering something more directly. So. Uh, Paul Miller on June 1st wrote this article, it's time to forgive each other our pandemic sins. And this is sort of a Christian version of what was written in October of 2022 last year by um, a writer for The Atlantic, which which was titled, Let's Declare a Pandemic Amnesty. All right. So we, we do have media outlets in both the Christian world, so-called, and the secular world saying it's time to move on. It's time for amnesty. It's time for forgiveness. It's time for uh, for us to move on. We need our, our pandemic sins forgiven. And so we need to break this down a little bit because everyone in the church, and, and especially this one, this, this article is laden with heavy moralistic language. And so we need to break this down because, as I said on the top of the show, Mike, uh, we've already set our terms of moving on, and uh, as we're going to unfold in this, we'll admit, uh, so if you admit that you're wrong, then we'll admit that we're right. And so let's go through it. Uh, let's let's go through this. There's, there's so many problems in this, and it's not because we don't like Paul Miller. I don't know who he is. It's not because we've got an axe to grind against Christianity today. It's because the ideas and the way this argument is constructed is so terrible and, and so useless and so weak. And for those of us who have been arguing a lot of these things along the way through the pandemic, um, to just have somebody say, hey, we're waving the white flag, let's never talk about this again, and let's not go into the details, um, it's not only insulting, but it's it's dangerous. So, uh, Mike, I know you're, you laughed out loud as you started reading this, so just take me through your the first thing that jumped out to you. So we're going to have a little bit of fun with this. Tim's little uh, Sloan music that we're going to play later and that Sloan line, um, it, it's really something that we feel to some degree is necessary and we're going to show why. But I do want to say, Tim, not to be overly, you know, emotional. We We do want the Christian community to unite, you know. We are warned in scripture specifically, and we saw some of this um, during COVID. We're warned in 1 Corinthians 1.13, is Christ divided? Was Paul Christ crucified for you? Or were you baptized into the name of Paul? And all of those things come out of the encouragement or the, um, the acknowledgement that Paul is talking about 
saying that some of Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. And what I mean is this one says, I follow Paul and another, I follow Apollos and another, I follow Cephas and still another says, I follow Christ. And so what we did see during COVID was the whole schools of thought, the whole, um, I sit under this brand, the whole, I'm a, uh, I'm a podcaster or I'm, um, I'm, I'm, I'm a blogger and I won't be disloyal to my brand. Oh, I'm a pastor and I, and I won't um, speak or, or allow uh, conversation and debate within my denomination. And it, very sincerely, I want to say this, even though Tim and I are starting off with a little bit of fun, we do want the church to be unified. And that is why it's important to stop. And as we're being called for amnesty, which is giving you know an official political pardon, we have to be careful to do that in a way that is um, honoring to God. And so I, I did laugh out loud at this, at this article, Tim, because here we go. First, first two paragraphs, ready? This week, um, an anxious poll, an axious poll found that 62% of Americans believe that the pandemic is over weeks after the World Health Organization announced that COVID-19 is no longer a public health emergency of international concerns. Now, the reason why... Finally, the WHO has spoken. Oh, the declaration from the WHO. Well, and, and, what and a relief. that is the very, very serious problem already with calling for amnesty, calling for forgiving each other's sins. And it is... By the way, I'm calling for the forgiveness of sins while I continue in my uh, propagation of lies. So that that's the that's the problem right here. Listen, you we have another article just just to throw stuff up here. Um, we we have another article uh, written June fifteenth, uh, twenty twenty three. Analysis comparing Japanese and German mortality once again finds. Substantial spike in deaths corresponding to the mass administration of COVID-19 vaccines. If we look, there is a slight increase of COVID-19 in 2020. But then in 2021 and 2022, you see a massive increase. This is, uh, this is, what, um, uh, this is what the article reads. The first year of the pandemic coincided with slightly elevated mortality firmly within the bounds of prior trends. While the years of massive vaccination or mass vaccination 2021 and 2022 saw an anomalous 48,617 and 66,528 access deaths respectively. This is roughly equal to the official COVID death tally for those years. And it goes on to say, but we know that the virus cannot explain all of them. Both the timing and the age stratified data strongly suggest that the substantial number must be related to vaccination. So Tim, we don't need to get into um, all of the evidence. We, what, we're, what we're showing is that here in the article is the primary problem with people who are asking for amnesty. It would be like 
a German Nazi who is saying, I want amnesty for what we did when we experimented on individuals, but I still want to point you to the data that we had for the reasons why we did what we did. And so, so if this article was really being serious about amnesty, it would have started with a paragraph like this. Even though the World Health Organization continued to talk about um, COVID-19 as a public health emergency until just weeks ago, over the last three years, many Christians have been divided about the data. There seems to be a strong disagreement in the medical community as to the severity and the possible solutions for the, the pandemic. And we continue to labor as we watch science change. That is a more honest opening. If you want people to start saying, okay, look, I'm going to, I'm going to get rid of my, I'm going to get rid of my, I follow Paul. I follow Cephas. I follow Liberty Coalition Canada. I follow the gospel coalition. I follow uh, CBC. I follow, you know, if you want to get people out of their loyalty grouping, their tribe, and to say, okay, let's acknowledge some things. You have to start with not making the ongoing error to trust the World Health Organization that sits across the pond and does not evaluate. the. We all knew the pandemic was over long before weeks ago. Right. Yeah. The Yeah. And I'm going to break this down a little bit more as we go, but the, the problem that created a lot of the division, which was the acceptance of propaganda from a global health organization that had no accountability to local jurisdictions, the, that created it, we're still citing them as a credible source for information. So you're perpetuating the divide in the premise of your article, in the very introduction to your article. So uh, next thing that I noticed, Mike, was this line, let's start assuming each other's good faith. and quote, forgiving the hard calls that people had no choice to make with imperfect knowledge. So the, the, the argument goes, look, can you stop uh, assuming that everyone was trying to ruin your life when they made you stay home, when they made you close your church, when they made you close down your restaurant, when they made you implement a health vaccine pass, when they forced you to say goodbye through a Zoom call to your loved one with cancer alone in the hospital. Can you stop assuming that people were trying to ruin your life and just assume everybody's good faith? Everyone was trying to do the right thing. And because of that, we can ignore everything they ever did. And the problem with this argument is that it only works when you refuse to admit that other people actually got it right. If everyone's good faith is always assumed, then we literally never have to or even can impute guilt to anybody, no matter how heinous or catastrophic the sins or their consequences, right? The, the article is titled, Let's Forgive Each Other's Pandemic Sins. And, and, and you and I would be the first to say, yes, sins were committed by those who imposed these uh, immoral restrictions. But now they're saying, but we did it all in good faith. We, we, everyone was just trying to do their best. And so no matter how much you suffered, no matter how much loss you incurred financially, emotionally, spiritually, familially, um, you, you just have to assume everybody's good faith. So 
So who has to bear the burden of this forgiveness? I ask. Honestly, Paul Miller. Who bears the burden of this forgiveness? The people who committed the sins or the people who had the sins committed against them? So if your mother died alone in the hospital and you weren't allowed to visit because of hospital restrictions, and your job now is to forgive and assume the good faith of those who wronged you, who bears that responsibility? The victim. So there's, there's nothing Christian embedded in this argument. It's just wash over the perpetrator's sins without ever admitting any wrong. And, and the other point more specifically that bothers me about this is that, and, and you all need to hear this, and this is to our, our listeners even now, with all the other cultural issues we're dealing with, nobody ever has no choice. I think if there's one thing I learned in my life in the last three years, it's that nobody never has a choice. There is always a choice to make. And you are able to make the right choice in every circumstance. People say, well, I had no choice. I had to do it. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. I pulled my son out of a hockey league because of the restrictions of the vaccine imposed on the public. Okay. We risked and you incurred fines from the police. You had a choice. People I know and love lost their jobs. One just two weeks ago, officially terminated for not taking this vaccine, which is now proven. We're going to look at how garbage it is. So you have a choice. And same with all the other stuff they're imposing in the culture through the pride events and all that. You do have a choice. The whole reason this article exists is because there are people out there who did make the hard choice. That's why there's a divide. So the premise that, oh, we had imperfect information. We didn't know. We were just doing our best. Nobody could have done better. Well, that's wrong because there are people who did better and there are people that made a hard choice, uh, which is why for me, this argument falls dreadfully flat. In the middle of the program, we want to give you an opportunity to hear about the Worldview Leadership Academy from the Ezra Institute. As we have seen a number of young adults uh, stand up in schools over the last week wearing t-shirts, there are only two genders. Uh, we recognize that we need to share about upcoming opportunities to learn more about a Christian worldview at the Ezra Institute. So today we have Ken Stell on for the Ezra Institute, who's the Director of Development. Ken, why don't you share with students what's going on so that they can sign up this summer? Uh, for sure. Thank you. Uh, the Worldview Leadership Academy is for youth aged uh, 14 through 18. So it's high school aged youth. It's uh, taking place July 23rd to 28th, 2023. So this year, July 23rd to 28th, Waynefleet, Ontario, on the shores of Lake Erie. And a beautiful setting there. And what it is, is a week-long program designed to equip students to know and defend and apply their faith in the midst of the intellectual and practical challenges of our day. Um, and the good news uh, that we wanted to come on and share as well is that we have a very generous donor who has uh, been found willing to provide a 50% scholarship uh, of the $795 cost for the week. That includes everything for food and housing, et cetera. And uh, so the one stipulation was that interested applicants would submit a minimum 500 word essay on why a Christian worldview is so important in our current culture. And the submission deadline is July the 1st for the 500 word essay. And they can submit this by copying or pasting text into our contact us link at the bottom of our main website or by sending it to info at ezrainstitute.com. So info at ezrainstitute.com. So thank you. That's great, Ken. 
And uh, just to be clear, no one's allowed to use AI. Uh, you actually have to write the 500 word essay. Ken, we really appreciate you guys over at the Ezra Institute. Uh, I'll be there during the summer, a part of uh, lecturing and, and helping out with that uh, Leadership Academy. So thanks for taking the time to come on. And everybody, we've got about 20 spots left. And so we really want to fill those spots, get your young adults there. This is the time to train our young adults so we don't lose them. Well, as we talk about this second spot, this really is the, if you admit you're wrong, we'll admit you're, we were right, falls into kind of this section. Because again, there's an embedded issue going on within Christianity today. And the first thing is that the embedded assumption, like you just said, is each other's good faith. So how many times did I have Christians say to me, I agree with you. And I say, well, why aren't you saying anything? Well, because I fill in the blank. What this article, if it was being serious, it should say, as Emily Oster suggested in the Atlantic last fall about pandemic am uh, amnesty, what they should not have agreed upon was that people are acting in good faith. In fact, as a Christian organization, they should have said adversely, you know, maybe, maybe she, maybe they're calling for public amnesty over here, but where we Christians disagree and what we saw thoroughly, and you and I've talked about this, Tim, is that we should assume that people were given over to sin, that people were given over to impartiality, to bribery, to uh, compromise, to lying. Now, the statement here, Christians especially can lead the world in an attitude of grace, is true. And we should. We want to get to the point where we are actively forgiving each other. But for the both sides to walk together harmoniously... You can't have this whole, hey, let's admit that we were all living in good faith. Let me give you an example. Ready? Two examples in the article. First, Paul says, few of us were truly knowledgeable about every aspect. That's a true statement. Except the fact that every example he's given with a little bit of research, we were already within a month of the lockdown warning people about. The epidemiologists could tell us about the likely course of infections. Uh, no, they couldn't. Uh, they were proven to be wrong. Every single model that they put out and they disagreed from day one. So we had the, out of the UK, we had all of the alarmism and then out of Stanford, we immediately had uh, Stanford giving change numbers. It took 15 seconds for you to read the two different predictions out of the epidemiologist office. Uh, and then going on, the epidemiologist could not tell us about legal issues involved in the lockdowns. Okay. Um, the lawyer could tell us about public health law, but not about economic trade-offs. Uh, so number one, did you talk to a lawyer? Did you investigate the legal ramifications? And then second of all, then why don't you get a lawyer and an economist in the room and talk about what lockdowns will do for the economy? And did you talk to a lawyer? I did you talk to a constitutional lawyer? And Tim, you know full well that very early on in the response, we had Lieutenant 
uh, Colonel David Redman on, firm, former head of emergency management in Alberta, who said the very thing you do in an emergency is bring all of the groups together uh, for dialogue. So this... So, so, so this, again, it just shows complete ignorance in the article of somebody doing any further research. And so it's a... So that's the thing I want to... Sorry, I just want to jump in here and say this. So nobody had all the answers. That gets at the heart of one of the things we argued very early on was that nobody's paying attention to any of the other experts. Nobody's asking lawyers or pastors or social service workers or public health, uh, or, or public emergency, um, you know, military men who, who who dealt with this stuff. Nobody asked any of them. We asked Teresa Tam, and we asked uh, Anthony Fauci, and what they said went. It was it was divine fiat given to these uh, these uh, doctors, and they they ran the table on everybody else, and that was precisely the problem. And this article saying, well, nobody really knew what to do. Yeah, and you locked anybody who knew the answers out of the room. That's your fault. Well, and and again, this goes to the point where, like you've mentioned, there's still a lack of admitting that they were wrong. And like you said, they locked it out of the room. So they're still – they're saying, hey, let's just give each other amnesty, but I don't want to talk about it. And that's not truly what political amnesty is. Political amnesty is, you know, um, we've been at war. And one side won, and the other side being able to give pardon to people who are operating as soldiers from the other side or political adversaries from the other side, not mass murderers, not 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 people who were uh, who were actively involved in terrorism. I, Tim, let me let me just finish this this section out. We got things wrong, he says. Masks were not terribly useful unless you used an N95 and wore it just right, which is still not scientific. Some public schools stayed closed far longer than necessary. Social distancing was unnecessary outdoors. And a lot of disinfection in public places was just hygiene, hygiene theater. Yet it was right to treat COVID as serious as a serious emergency and to act with an abundance of caution. Now, listen, he goes through his list again. He just said masks are useless. And now he goes... Flippancy about masks and social distancing, especially early on when we did not know much, was unwise. That's not true. We knew plenty about masks and social distancing by common knowledge and, 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 and common sense instantly. Treating the virus as unimportant and unthreatening was a gross insensitive insensitivity to the older and uh, immunocompromised people. Nobody did that. What people did was mitigate risk, which we are normally always allowed to do. So the point is, he says, yeah, we got it wrong. And we got it wrong on virtually every major social point. But we got it right in the fact that we should have done it on every major social point. So this again, Tim, the, the, the first section is... Maybe this is just a secondary point to the first section, but in the first section, it's we're just still assuming that the, that the who and that all of our sources, the authoritative those sources are still right. And in this second area, it's this embedded assumption that everyone was acting 
um, in good faith, which was just not true. The, the churches that were closed, many churches closed, not acting in good faith, actually with pastors saying, I, I, I secretly think we should be open, but here's the nine reasons why I'm not going to do it. I just, I just want to add a little bit more beef to um, the, the work that we did because we're talking about the epidemiologist doesn't know the health ramifications and this, and then, well, we got things wrong. Masks were not useful unless, et cetera, et cetera. I, I just, it, it's so thick. It, it's so thickly ironic to me. Uh, when I look back at the work that Liberty coalition was doing in early 2022, we had Stephen Petty. I don't know if you remember interviewing him, Mike, but we had Stephen Petty who is by his own, by his own self-description, probably the world's preeminent leading expert on mask usage for um, the, uh, the, the coverage and containment of viral material. We had him on with you, Mike. And he said, there, there is no functional scientific basis under any circumstances to wear a mask to mitigate against the spread of COVID-19. The world's preeminent leading expert on our little show, Back when Liberty Coalition was just a fledgling little thing, why wasn't this guy being consulted? It, so it, this idea that nobody could have known is a lie. And, and, and it's a lie that we won't allow to just pop out into the public square and go unchallenged because we knew people, we talked to them who said, this is not, this is not the proper approach. And again, we're not just talking about you chose to wear a mask and you didn't and we all got along because I had no problem chatting with people, even some who still, especially up in Canada, still want to wear masks. That's okay. We have no animosity toward them. It's, it was the theater and it was the, it was the public shaming that went on and it was the accusations that went on if you decided you didn't want to wear one. So again, to just blanket everything with confusion and it was, it was confusing and unprecedented it just masks over an ignorant time where people didn't want to hear the truth. And I think those writers at Christianity Today and the Atlantic would be included in this, that they didn't want to hear the truth. And now it's to say, well, it was just so confusing. We didn't know what to believe. Well, you didn't, you didn't want to hear it. All right. So again, this is part of what, what you said, Mike, was that if you admit that you're wrong, we'll admit that you're right. Not because we feel better, but because it's the way to learn. It's the way to unify. And you're expanding upon the definition of of amnesty is important here because it's when you're talking about two nations at war and the winning side gets to declare amnesty over the losing side and to those operatives who who were on the other side if they're willing to drop their uh their activism against the winning country then you have the basis for amnesty but if you have people who are going to continue on in the lies and if they're going to continue on in that mindset then there's no basis for amnesty right um, and, and just to go one step further, we aren't just talking about somebody who got yelled at for not wearing a mask. We're talking about the extreme costs that a lot of people had to pay because of these policies that went way beyond masking. We're talking about hospitals shutting down cancer screenings. We're talking about people postponing life-saving, um, surgery. We have a case in Canada right now where the Supreme Court is refusing to hear the case of a woman who was denied a life-saving kidney transplant because she's not vaccinated. We're talking about life and death here. We, we had a friend who worked in a children's hospital who saw a dramatic increase in parent violence against children during lockdowns. 
because of the acute and intense exposure that families had with one another. And it's like, well, yeah, you know, we probably went over the top with masks, but this is a flippancy that doesn't address the real personal and, and humanity that was harmed because of the, because of these policies. And so when you can't admit the scale of what went on, you also don't have the basis for unity or moving forward together. And we're, we need to move on from this point. But let me just reiterate it one more time. That kind of grace requires both humility and patience. Faced with the unknown, do masks really work? Question mark. It is okay to admit, I don't know. Okay, again, we're three years into this. Two science videos, one guy smoking cigars, and then anyone of the researchers that has been um, speaking up about what you just said categorically proves, again, on our show, we had the illustration. Do you think anyone would go into a restaurant if outside the restaurant there was the label, warning, nerve gas inside? Please put on your mask when you enter, walk into your table, take off your mask, eat the entire meal without your mask on, then put your mask back on to walk outside, nerve gas warning. Or wear your mask the entire time while you eat, nerve gas warning. No, not a single person who is an adult would walk into that restaurant because they knew 100%. Very, very early on, it was easy to tell that if you did any research at all. So to be able to go three years later, it's okay to admit, I don't know. That's still you propagating the immature lack of research that you've done. You don't know because you haven't looked. So I, I, there's one more quote and there's one more quote. I know you want to push us off this, but there's one more right in this section that to me is like, this is almost where you just jump off the cliff instead of responding. But since this is the other club, we're going to respond. Uh, the quote flippancy about masks and social distancing, especially early on when we did not know much was unwise. So he just admitted that those things don't work, but it was unwise not to do them at the time. Huh? Why, why wasn't it super wise? Because it was actually ahead of the, uh, the curve. They likely yeah, could have made, could have this been, is the government, was the argument here. What, 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 right. Some the, people were foresight, yeah. intelligent. So, quote, the government likely could have made the pandemic shorter and less severe had they acted even faster, earlier, and more decisively than they did. I just have like mind blow emoji happening here. Didn't you just tell us that masking and social distancing and lockdowns were ineffective, unnecessary, and and harmful? But now you're telling us that if the government was allowed to do these things earlier and more decisively, it could have made the pandemic shorter. So they didn't work and they were useless. But if you're criticizing the government for doing them, you should realize if they had masked harder and locked down harder, we could have got through it quicker. Like there is total cognitive dissonance within this article. And this is what a this is what a lack of humility does. You you tie yourself in such bizarre intellectual knots to make your point. It doesn't even make sense within the like nine hundred word essay here. It's a short little article, and yet the contra the self contradictory nature of it is just overwhelming. Kind of said. So do masks really work? It's okay to admit 
I now know that they don't. There's just nothing. So again, folks, why are we doing this? Are, are Tim and I, you know, you know, pastors can get into some type of, you know, old type of labeling. And we've heard this word Donatist uh, being thrown around for um, pastors who historically just would not let one side of the church repent once they've made an error. Um, no, uh, you know, we are, we are not Donatists. We, we, we want to bring unity. We want to bring um, reconciliation. But the reason why we're going through this is for true reconciliation, a few things need to start happening. And that is number one, stop trusting in the world elites who are now showing us that the UN just this week released um, an article about uh, children being able to consent to sexual relations. The, the World Health Organization is a division of the UN, it is a partnership of the UN. You have to be a, willing to stop just pretending like everyone is neutral. Then the next step to that is actually even admit that many people who, um, who told you many lies were actually operating out of self-promotion, um, uh, self uh, self-protection. And so you have to admit that we're not in good faith. We are, many of us in times of stress will act evilly, like with evil. And so let's, let's move on and forgive each other or, or let, like, let's, let's try to understand one another, but you can't keep peddling the lies. Tim, I like your illustration. It would be like declaring amnesty, but then a small uh, militia of people you had just declared amnesty to uh, continue to set fires to churches and continue to drag young children to um, uh, sexual events. And then those same people continue to wear masks day in and day out uh, because they are promoting and, and on those masks, it was an anti, an anti amnesty uh, messaging, you know, okay, move on. I know we gotta move on. So, well, this <clears throat> there's another point I want to make here about the same quote that you you brought out. The kind the, this kind of grace that they're calling everybody to have. Everyone needs to have grace for me. If if I was wrong, you need to have grace for me. It requires both humility and patience. Faced with the unknown, do masks really work? It's okay to admit I don't know. Uh, when we must make choices anyway to open or close the church, it's okay to have different opinions. Well, now it's okay to have different opinions. Right. So like now you're allowed to have different opinions. Where was that grace during the, the during the pandemic? When was it? When did your church denomination say, oh, it's totally OK to have a different opinion, different approach to this than us? Right. When did the government say, yeah, you can have different opinions on this? And by the way, this whole idea of like having different opinions, this is why we have things like constitutions. This is why we have a criminal code. This is why we have a Bill of Rights, because opinions come and go. They come quickly. And in the heat of war, you don't bring in 55,000 opinions. You go to your war declaration um, uh, agenda. You go to your emergency response, which we learned during the pandemic. Every province has their own emergency response um, plan. 
every single one was torn up and turned into confetti. Every single one. They, they, they abandoned these things. They abandoned the Bill of Rights. They abandoned the Constitution. They abandoned every form of anchoring um, authority or changed them. They imposed these opinions on us like divine fiat, like uh, lawfully binding uh, edicts. And they and and they they elevated these things to law. So to to go back and 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 to retrospect this thing to say, well, everyone had a different opinion. Yeah, but your opinions became a club over the head of anybody who had a different one. Um, and there were others who were fighting to actually uphold historic civil and religious rights. There were those who were trying fervently to maintain. Uh, theological distinctions between different types of authority. There were people out there who were trying to keep society from disintegrating into the mess that it became. Like that, those were the two sides you had. You had society spinning off into a chaotic totalitarian regime where you weren't allowed to do anything in public that you that they didn't say. You weren't allowed to worship the way you were called to. You weren't allowed to gather with your family. You weren't allowed to attend funerals. Society was crumbling. And we see it, even the secularists are admitting that children's social development was destroyed and the social fabric has been irreparably damaged for young developing children. And there were those on the other side saying, we don't have to do this. We don't have to rip society apart. We don't have to throw everything in the garbage that we have worked so hard for the last 250 years to build. There were those trying to prevent that. And now it's just, well, everyone had a different opinion, right? So again, the issue here is that all of the errors that led to these disastrous outcomes of the pandemic response and the social unrest and division that ensued are still present in all the premises of the article. That's what we're getting at. All of the errors that led to all this disaster are still undergirding. They're still providing the foundation for everything this article is calling for. And that's why we're saying we're setting ourselves up to do the same thing again. If we accept all of these premises and we learn nothing, we're setting ourselves up to make the same mistakes over and over and over again, which is not a Christian approach to life. I don't know if that's something you read about in a good theology book, but the Christianity that, I, that, that I've learned from Scripture is you know, to walk away from sin, to walk away from ignorance, and to walk in the light and to embrace the truth. Let me give you an example of bad faith operators. Wednesday, June 7th, 2023, LifeSite News reports an office tasked with assisting Prime Minister Justin Trudeau knew COVID shots caused serious injuries and to com combat the negative side effects of the vaccines said in a secret memo in 2021, winning communication strategies must be developed to convince the public to take the jabs. As per Blacklock's reporter, the secret memo from Trudeau's Privacy Council office noted that COVID jab injuries and even deaths have the potential to shake public confidence. Continuing in the quote, adverse effects following immunization, news reports and government response to them have the potential to shake public confidence in the COVID-19 vaccination rollout. End of quote. Read at a part of the memo. Then the memo goes on. Uh, to call for testing behavioral informed messaging in response to severe adverse events following immunization. So like Trudeau went 
as far as scorning unvaccinated people, while his office knew of adverse reactions. And you still have Christianity today saying, oh, but we just didn't know. This is partly why in this episode we are we are we are taking up this conversation. Uh, we, we see, you know, monkey virus DNA found in COVID nineteen shots reported June eleventh, twenty twenty three, from Epoch Health, um, written by Joseph Mercola, and we 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 have that they they, they are the listen to this listen to this Tim. The COVID-19 shots are turning out to be more of a time bomb than ever imagined. Think about that, because we imagined some pretty hard things about them. And now further analysis. This new discovery of the presence of monkey virus DNA, including tumor-linked viral promoters in the jabs, has this biologist and immunologist calling for an immediate halt in the use of mRNA vaccines. So Tim, we'll move on from this section, but everybody, you cannot continue to pretend that people are acting, everybody involved in this situation is acting in good faith. That was a major Christian error. It continues to be an idol and it needs to stop. If we want to move on, what this could have said was something along the lines like this. We all know that we developed our opinions quickly. Some people lashed out in severe anger and insults and cursing. It could have had lots of different uh, images from Facebook up of people literally screaming at each other. But what it's not okay is to continue to propagate these lies and these attitude. Um, uh, that's no way that we're going to be able to go forward. You, you bring up the vaccine and, and because we're speaking to Christians, we're, we're speaking within the Christian um, lexicon here, the Christian worldview. Um, we had pastors in Canada saying, look, if you don't want to take the vaccine, that's your personal business. But don't ever make a case. Don't, there is no Christian case for saying no to this vaccine. It is a matter of public health. It's a matter of public love for your neighbor. Well, what happened to the CDC confirming that the, the COVID shot causes a 13,000% increase in risk to myocarditis? Is there a Christian case for protecting somebody from being forced to take something that's going to increase their risk for myocarditis by 13,000%? I, I don't see those pastors out saying, hey, I want amnesty. I'm going to admit I was wrong. Please give me amnesty. You know what? Because, and this is kind of my closing thought, Mike, is that as Christians, we are going to be very quick to forgive and to welcome people back into fellowship. But where these issues tore lives apart, or in some cases took the lives of people, okay, caused untold damage, especially to youth. We're talking like ages 11 through 17. Children and, and, and young adults who didn't have the tools, spiritual, social, to deal with months and months of isolation from their friends, from their peers, from their loved, uh, beloved mentors and teachers and so forth. Suicides and, and drug use and, and domestic abuse. With all, the, with all of that on the table, if, if you're willing to say, 
I was wrong about that. And it caused a lot of destruction. There is forgiveness. There's always forgiveness. But, but what we will not accept is, well, we were wrong that masks didn't work. Can you, you know, can we just, can we not rehash that again? Because in the same way that we're saying this in terms of the response to COVID, Jesus says the same thing about entering the kingdom of God. He says, unless you become humbled like a child, you will not enter the kingdom. He says, unless you repent and believe, you will not enter the kingdom. Unless you obey my commands, you will not enter the kingdom. There are limits to this so-called grace. And the limit is to admit that you were wrong, that God will admit that he's right. We confess our sins to vindicate the judgment of God. That's what David said in the Psalms. He said, uh, I confess my sin to you so that you may be vindicated in your judgments. Part of repentance is to acknowledge that the person that you're going to, to seek repentance from, that they were right, that they were in the right and that you were in the wrong. It is a two-way, it's a double dynamic, it's a binary dynamic, this interchange, this exchange of forgiveness. So we are, we are in good faith acting as Christians saying there is forgiveness, there is reconciliation, there is unity ahead for the church. But it will not come from sweeping wrongs under the rug, from pretending that the victims are the ones holding grudges and that they won't move on. It will take true humility. It will take saying, hey, I moved hastily. I acted in a confusing time. I was confused, not you. Not we were all confused and let's just all forget about it. To admit that there were opportunities to take the right path and some took it and some didn't. And there is reconciliation ahead, but it will take humility for those who were wrong. So in all honesty, we joke about that line, but there's 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 a kernel of truth in that. And if we want to see our culture reunited, if we want to see unity, especially within the church, um, it's going to take a stronger dose than what this Christianity article, today article, um, is offering. This is just not the stuff of rebuilding. This is not the stuff of reconciliation. This is, it's fluff and it's gaslighting and it has all the same errors embedded in it that caused all the destruction in the first place. So Mike, that's my last word. Um, I really appreciate you going through this with me. Yeah. And I have to admit, I don't know how much I like this episode. Um, and when I say that, I mean, um, it feels like, it feels like we're, we're, we're hashing out an issue here and if it just, it feels like we're stuck. And so I agree with you, Tim you know, I want to kind of help bring clarity here too. So first of all, you can forgive someone who hasn't repented to you to, to forgive someone is not to hold to them what they owe you. It's to forgive their debt. So if, if you feel like someone owes you an apology, um, for the way that they behaved, or as Tim and I have said here, they, they owe us, you know, not continuing to promote the very lie that they're now trying to, you know, t tell us, you know, that they kind of got wrong, but they didn't get wrong. You can forgive that individual. You, you, you just, you stop talking about it. You, you, you don't bring it up to other people. You don't gossip. And, and, and when you are struggling in your heart with anger towards that individual, you pray to God, God, forgive them, uh, forgive, forgive my sins as I forgive those who sin against me for forgiveness truly can happen. But what Tim, you and I are talking about is this is really a call for reconciliation, which is totally a different thing. You, you cannot have reconciliation 
with someone who continues. It, we all know that when scripture says love keeps no records of wrongs, there is, there is a limitation to that in, in all situations for an, for an honest relationship, you know? Uh, yes, I, I can forgive my wife and yes, my wife can forgive me, but no, my, my wife is literally not going to be able to overlook me punching her in the face every morning for a hundred years. Like, no, no one would say, Oh, love keeps no records of wrong. So, so what we're, what we're doing here as we're walking through this. And the reason why I'm saying I don't like this episode is because it feels like we're trapped is is we're trying to get people to say, this is how reconciliation should look. And we're willing to forgive. But if we really want partnership, goes to your point, Tim, there needs to be some humility. I want to bring up two more articles before we close things down. First of all, um, we have Mark Zuckerberg on Twitter admitting that Facebook censored COVID information. So Zuckerberg was challenging um, to, sorry, was challenged to censor COVID misinformation because the scientific establishment um, told him to do it. And, and this is what he says, just take off some of the stuff around COVID earlier in the pandemic where there were real health implications, but there hadn't been time to fully vet a bunch of scientific assumptions. Unfortunately, I think a lot of the kind of establishment and on that kind of waffled on a bunch of facts and asked for a bunch of things to be censored that in retrospect ended up being more debatable or even true. That stuff is really tough, right? It really undermines trust. We have, we have Pfizer saying that people operated to censor information. Then we have Pfizer caught funneling $12 million to Anderson Cooper to promote mRNA jabs to Americans. According to Robert Kennedy Jr., very few people are aware of the fact that Cooper gets the majority of his CNN paycheck from Pfizer. So I bring up those articles, Tim, again, to bring up the, 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 the necessity for truth. And like you said, people have to be honest. People have to be able to um, repent. And really, that's what you and I are calling them for. So I'm going to not mix words at all. I'm going to say Paul Miller of Christianity Today put out an appeal that again lacks rigor, both of scripture, both of an understanding of humanity, and even of an understanding of grace. And Paul, you should have done a better job if you really wanted reconciliation. Tim, you and I really do want reconciliation. So I want to go beyond our own feelings here. I want to go beyond our analysis of this. And I want to say very sincerely to our listeners, listeners, we do need to be offering forgiveness to people who have wronged us. As I've already said, the way to do that is when your heart boils up in anger, you pray to God, God, forgive me as I forgive those who sin against us. You think of yourself as that uh, you, you, as that immerciful servant 
who wants to run around and get vengeance when you've already been forgiven and you remind yourself, God forgave me, so I cannot demand this debt that I'm owed. Every time I think of family members who continue to put their heads down, every time I think of friends who haven't called me up in three years and apologized, I just have to say, God forgive them for they... Uh, not God forgive them for they know not what they do. Not, not, not that prayer, but God forgive them in the way that you have forgiven me. Number two, two practical pieces of, of advice. Just stop talking about them. Don't gossip about them. Don't stew on the situation. We really true can, truly can give forgiveness. But what Tim and I really want as leaders and, and as pastors is we want reconciliation. And that means now if you've been listening to this podcast and you've been stewing your little bee in your bonnet, about us still telling you that you were wrong, you were wrong and go repent and admit it. Go up to your Christian Bible camp and apologize. Get up from the pulpit and apologize and say, I got it wrong. I was obviously wrong. Please forgive me. Then we can be reconciled. Then we can turn around and really start working together. And then we will be truly preaching the, 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 the foolishness of the cross again and not just the foolishness of our camp. And mm. he, let me lead by example. I can always admit that in anger, I can say unkind things. And in anger or in a desire to get a joke, I can be overly crude. And if you ever hear me doing that, uh, you know, it goes beyond that whole, we're just going to have a good comedic laugh and I've pointed out an obvious flaw. But no, you really sense some bitterness there. Like Tim, you can pull me aside and say, you know what, you're being a bit of a schmuck. Uh, get over that. We, that, that's, that's the problem for our side is our side is keeps dwelling on this and keeps stirring each other's anger up and we have to calm each other down and say, let's pray about that and that we need to do that in a better way. Anyways, thanks for listening to the other club, Tim. It's been great. I truly do want to confront your ungodly mustache and, uh, your attire um, I will let you think about how you need to apologize to me later, but I will already forgive you in my heart. Everybody, thanks for listening and share this video out. Godspeed. If you'll admit that you will.